Well, that's, that's kind of frontier missions, just an update for you. Um, you and I both know, if you're a Christian, you've been in church for a while, you also know that there is a personal responsibility we have back here on the home front um, to be about the work of, of um, reaching the lost, um, to bringing the light of Christ into the darkness, and to see lives changed by the power of the gospel. And that is a responsibility that each and every one of us have as Christians. Now, we may not always live it out, but I think most of us know that that's our job right, to do that in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, and, and in the community right around Parkway Community Church. And uh, I wanted to, to, if you will, offer you a, 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 what I think is a motivation for, for kind of giving God um, your all when it comes to not just your life, but also in terms of mission. And I've been thinking, and this is part of a, um, how God has been working in my life, um, so it comes out of that. Just call it a little bit of a breakthrough on how um, the resurrection um, ties into missions. Now, this first part is going to be a a little bit on the Bible study side, but I want to start there because I want to take you to the breakthrough for me that I hope will maybe be a breakthrough for you. Um, So the first part, just the biblical part of resurrection and and missions, and I'm going to tie together or touch on two texts in the Bible, New Testament. Um, One is 1 Corinthians 15, written by Paul, and the other one is uh, the Gospel of John chapter 5, um, where Jesus gives some instructions on, on resurrection. Uh, those are not traditional mission texts, but I, I hope you'll see how they tie in in, in, in just a moment. The, the first one, 1 Corinthians 15, written by Paul, um, the chapter addresses a problem in the church, and that is um, people apparently in the church there in the ancient Grecian city of Corinth were um, had a, had a, had a uh, mistaken belief that the resurrection had already happened and that resurrection wasn't physical. That is, the whole chapter was written to argue that there is a physical resurrection from the dead. That is, we come back to life physically, not just spiritually, but, but physically. And so the whole chapter is aimed at that. And at the beginning of the chapter, um, he talks about what he delivered to them um, when he came as a missionary. Like He came into the pagan city, as people were worshiping all kinds of gods, uh, all kinds of different temples. And, um, and this is what he, 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 he delivered to them. He said, um, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. And this is what gives birth to a church and what gives birth to spiritual life. Namely, and this is, he summarizes what he delivered to them, that the heart of the gospel, the heart of the truth, the heart of what makes mission possible. He says that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day, there's the third day, that's, there's the resurrection in accordance with Scripture. So he just distills it down. This is what I gave to you. This is what made you Christians, is you accepted the fact that Christ died, he was buried, and he was raised. So the whole idea of resurrection is at the heart of the gospel and is the heart of mission work, is telling people that Christ has been raised from the dead. Well, he goes on from there, um, arguing and so forth. And he gets to a place later in the chapter where he talks about um, his own life work in relationship to resurrection, his own life work as a missionary, as, as someone who, who gives himself to the, to the cause of Christ. And this is what he writes. And this is where mission and resurrection tie in. He says, um, <laughs> ask the question, why are we in danger every hour? Let's talk about we. He's a part of a missionary band. We're, we're going around and there's, there's dangers all around us. I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts in Ephesus, if the dead are not raised? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. 
That is, if the dead are not raised. The first part, he's just like, listen, after all I've been through in my life, like I face death all the time because I'm a missionary. People, some people don't like Jesus. They don't like the church, and they don't like what I preach. And um, as a result, I suffer. Why would I do that if there is no res- resurrection? Again, I want you to follow me on this part because this is this the foundation. Um, if you're to look at Paul's own life and what he gave and what he spent and how he suffered, um, here's his own little mini biography, autobiography of, of what he went through for, for the sake of the mission. It says, five times I received at the hands of, of Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked a night and a day. I, I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Now, who wants to live that life? Right? Who in their right mind would keep going with all of this? Well, there's only one explanation for why he's willing to pour himself out and face beatings and so forth, and that is the belief in the resurrection. That's the whole point. Why would I do this if there's no resurrection? Which means the opposite is true. The part of the big motivation for him to just go for it, just like I'm, I'm, I'm willing to take the challenges, I'm willing to face the, the punishment and the persecution. Why? Because I believe the resurrection is real. In other words, I get it all back in the end. Right? So it's part of the motivation for him is this, this whole idea of, of, of resurrection. And if you take away resurrection, you, it, well, then you're, you're left with nothing but a, a hedonistic option. That's, that's how he ends. You know, if the dead are not raised, then you know what? We all might as well drink up, eat, for tomorrow we die. Because there's nothing left, right? Those are the two kind of paths. If there is a resurrection, then you know what? You can give everything because we come back. If there is no resurrection, then you're going to pick the path of, well, we might as well suck every pleasure out of this life we possibly can. And I, I wonder in our, in our affluent, rich culture, I wonder if Christians don't speak of resurrection with their lips, but with their hearts. They eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we die. I don't know. Just a suspicion based upon the fact that God's people oftentimes are not very sacrificial when it comes to, to the mission. So there are those, those two pieces, right? Resurrection mattered for him. It motivated him to give it all. Now, let me jump over to John chapter 5, and then, um, and then I want to talk about the breakthrough for just a moment that I hope will be helpful for you. John chapter 5, Jesus tells us, and by the way, this particular passage, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, talking about the resur- physical resurrection of Christ and the hope of physical resurrection. He's, there, he's, he's talking mostly about the idea of the hope of actual physical future resurrection. But the thing is, is that Resurrection isn't exclusively a future event, and this is part of the, the, um, the motivation. Jesus taught us this. He said, truly, truly, way of saying what I'm about to say is absolutely 100% true, and emphasized, I say to you, an hour's coming, now he's looking future, an hour's coming future, and is now here. Now he's talking present tense. 
When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. And then down in verse 28, he says, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. That is physical resurrection. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. There's a day when God's saving activity and his judging activity are going to be fully displayed before all the world to see. Right now, the gospel of the kingdom kind of moves out, often silently and unnoticed by the human eye, kind of like leaven in a lump of dough or, or yeast in a lump of dough. It just slowly permeates. But at some point, it's all going to become visible. And, um, and that time's coming in which the heavens and the earth are going to shake. The foundations are going to shake. And God's saving and judging activity are kind of going to wake up. But you notice, back to the verse, verse 25. Time is coming. He's saying there's there's a time in which this physical resurrection is going to happen. But but that next part, and is now here. In other words, it's already dawned. It's already here. Like When people hear what God has done to rescue through Christ, um, and they respond, there's this like resurrection that happens within. It's it's the dead soul comes to life. Something new happens. A, a new creation breaks, breaks forth in a, a total, uh, totally new sense of desires and, and orientation of life. That's, that's the resurrection of the heart. And he's saying that, that's already here. Like he speaks, he teaches, and life comes out of death. That's, that's the resurrection that is, has already begun. And that, 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 that life that God gives to us, I mean, it's, it's called eternal life which we, 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 we experience when we respond to the gospel, and we experience that right here, right now. And I hope that everybody, if not most of you, have experienced that kind of life awakening in your heart. Because when that happens, it's of eternal duration. That means um, the life we possess cannot be taken from us. It is indestructible life. Nothing can, can snuff it out. Nothing can put it in danger because it's eternal and it's quality. And church, that has already begun. That has already dawned. That's already here, which is why Christians really don't have to fear death because maybe you might fear the pain leading to death, but uh, death can't touch you. It can't trample out the life within. All right, so now you're probably thinking, I got this, Dan. (laughs) Um, The resurrection has already dawned. God awakens hearts, giving us eternal life to change, change the way we relate and so forth. And, and at the same time, we have this promise of physical res- resurrection in the future. Like Christians do come back as much as they want us to go away. We're like that, you know, whack-a-mole. Christians are going to pop back up like a bad rat, you know. They're not going to get rid of us because we, we have resurrection from the dead. That's, that's where it's headed. But let me just uh, here say how this... Truth has altered. Here's the breakthrough part. I've known this truth for a long time. And a lot of you maybe have too. Maybe you didn't think of resurrection as a present reality, but um, maybe now you're just getting it. I've known this for a long time. And you know how you can know a truth, but it's not until like God like brings your eyes to see it in a different light that it really becomes something that like it changes you. I was having a simple conversation with um, Wade Roden. He taught a class a couple of months ago. Um, he's been a pastor for years, and now he's a, he's a Kaiser chaplain. And it's interesting how the Spirit works through an ordinary conversation to change, like, Dan Decker's heart or, or my perspective. 
Um, he was just talking about all the death that he's seen as a Kaiser chaplain. He sees people die all the time. And he sees believers die. And he, he, he talked about believers' death. And I'm probably going to butcher the conversation if Wade's here. But uh, he, said, um, he said, you know, death is a gift to the believer. I thought, I've never really thought of it that way. It's a gift. I know, I know to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So in that sense, it's a gift. But he says it's a gift. And he, and he went on to say, you know, the fact of the matter is we've already been crucified with Christ. So we've already died the horrible part of death. And, and, um, and we stand in light of the resurrection. So it's, it's just a gift. And I don't know what it was about that simple conversation, but it's like it, it, it took the lens that was out of focus and it focused it. And I realized that I, I really don't see myself and my life living in the triumph of the resurrection. I, I, I was looking at my life more through the lens of the shadow of death. Right? I mean, I'm, as you get older, you start realizing, oh, so how many more Christmases do I have? And my wife doesn't like it when I do this because she thinks it's morbid to talk about the fact that you maybe only have 40 more Christmases or 30 more Christmases left. And I'm like, that, but I'm counting, right? God tells us to number our days, so I'm numbering my Christmases. And I probably, based upon you know, statistics, I probably have another 24. That's kind of depressing to think about. Or you get older and you realize, man, I can't run as fast in my 40s as I used to run back in my 20s, and everything hurts now. And then you just start to see the brokenness around you. Just, you just realize that everything that seemed once so wonderful and glowing and beautiful, all of a sudden, as you age, you realize it's just broken. Like, you know, the images of marriage, images of parenting and all that. It's just, it's just broken. And you start to feel like you're living in the shadow of, of, of death, you know? Because death's that. We, and the older you get, the more... Final, you realize it is inevitable. The more your body starts to break down, you start to feel like, man, this is gonna, this is this is going nowhere but toward that finality. And that's that's honestly kind of how I was seeing myself in the shadow of death. And that's kind of morose, right? And I, I would venture to say that many of you do too. Like, did you see your life that way in the shadow of death? Well, the the, the switch in perspective is. Is, is quite different in light of the resurrection. If you think about it, I, I was realizing, you know, it's not we who live in the shadow of death. It's death that lives in the shadow of death. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, the finality of death is going to come to an end. So think about that for a second. We have eternal life. No one can take it from us. No one can snuff snuff it out. It's indestructible because Christ gave it to us. But death, because of the resurrection of Christ, death's days are numbered. Right? It's it's on hospice care. But it's not going to help. It's it's in its final rounds of chemotherapy, but it's not going to help. The idea is that death dies. It is already on death row. Is that strange to hear? Death is on death row. It has a limited number of days left. And the reason we know that is because it says it in the book of Revelation 21, right? It says, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. Whatever the lake of fire is, is a place of death because it describes it as this is the second death, the lake of fire. In other words, death dies. So listen, who's living in the shadow of death? It's not you and it's not me. As believers, death lives in the shadow of death. As time is coming to an end, it is no longer in charge anymore because of what Christ has done. Now that changes things. 
And on the flip side, then if, so if, if, death, if death is dying, it's going to come to an end at some point. It's going to go extinct. It's going to be terminated. It's probably not even going to be part of our vocabulary. Then, then we're supposed to look at ourselves in light of the dawn of resurrection and life, right? And I, I, again, I, like, it's not like, oh, the resurrection is going to happen just the future. It's like, no, it's already dawned. Isn't that what Jesus says? It's already dawned. Life is already here. The sun has already peaked over the mountains. And we're standing in the light of the resurrection. And to see yourself in our lives, not in the shadow of death, but the triumph of, 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 of the resurrection of Jesus, that changes things. And I think Paul would say the same thing. And again, it's just like you fix the lens a little bit, and you're like, wow, I've been looking at things wrong. And because of it, I've lived in fear. I've lived in depression, uh, trying to grasp at your last bits of strength and mortality. Maybe... Looking at yesterday like the good old days, that's, that's living in the shadow of death. But to, to live in the triumph of the resurrection means courage, joy, freedom. And to me, that's how Paul saw his life. Why do I know that? Because he said um, that we have been made alive with Christ, together with Christ, Ephesians 2. Made alive, past tense. We have been raised up with him. In other words, he's seeing himself in light of the fact that resurrection is already dawned. That, that perspective, church, changes things. In other words, the idea of resurrection has already dawned and it'll come to completion in the future is not just a truth to believe, it's a perspective to be maintained. <laughs> it's not simply a truth to be believed, it is a perspective to be maintained. We live in the triumph of the resurrection. Life has already dawned, the light has already come over the mountains, and we are alive. We're supposed to live in light of that. Like I said, that's, that's just kind of the breakthrough. I've known the truth of resurrection, but to maintain the perspective of this is how we're supposed to see ourselves in the triumph of the light of the resurrection. You know, I, it, it, it clicks for me now. I mean, you know, um, reading some of the church fathers from the first three centuries, like, I, I think I, I get it that they saw this in ways we, we don't in general. Like the reason that they were able to face the flames and the, and the you know, wild beasts and the, and the crucifixions and the martyrdom with a sense of courage and even joy is because they knew death is on its way out and they stand in the hope and the realization of resurrection. Light has already dawned. Here's a, here's a, a little snippet. I've read this before, but again, sometimes... Our stupid minds just don't get it. My stupid mind just doesn't get it. St. Athanasius writes this perspective, and he lived in the 300s, early 400s, and he saw Christians die for their faith. And look what he writes. Like, again, I was so dense that I didn't get it, but now I see. It's like a very strong proof of this destruction of death and its conquest by the cross is supplied by a present fact, namely this. And the present fact is seeing Christians die with courage. They're, they're not afraid of death. He goes on and says, all the disciples of Christ despise death. They take the offensive against it. In other words, not, not running away from it. They're running toward it. And instead of fearing it, by the sign of the cross and by faith in Christ, now look at this next section, trample on it as, something, as on something dead. 
Before the divine sojourn of the Savior, that is before Christ came, even the holiest of men, that is Old Testament men and women who believed, were afraid of death and mourned the death as those who perish. That's like all the disciples of Christ despise death. They take the offensive on it. Why? Because, because of their faith in Christ, they trample on it as something dead. That's awesome. It's already dead. That's how they saw it, and that's how they approached life. And, and I think one of the major motivating factors as to why they gave themselves fully and completely to the cause of Christ. That's learning to live with the perspective of the triumph of resurrection in your life rather than in the shadow of death. And I believe that is a big piece of um, what will motivate and what motivates us to say, all right, Lord, I have nothing to lose and everything to gain because resurrection life is already dawned. I, I, I don't know what your perspective is on this or if you understood what I said or, um, or maybe you're like, yeah, I, you know, this is, I, I, I think I see the power of this perspective change. I, I want to ask you if, you know, as we partake of uh, the Lord's Supper, just to spend some time praying um, to the Lord, saying, Lord, align my perspective so that I, I, I don't see my life in the shadow of death, but I see it in light of the triumph of the resurrection. Um, because that, that, that shift is, is a powerful shift that leads to a new joy, a new courage, uh, and a new sense of vitality and, and motivation to, to reach out to other people. So um, th- this morning is Communion Sunday. And this is a celebration of the death of Christ. I mean, we have been crucified because he died, so we don't have to be afraid of death. And it also um, is a, a, a symbol of, of life. So uh, if you're a follower of Christ, feel free. Um, after I pray, while the music's playing, just come forward and um, partake. You can take it back to your seat with your family, by yourself. Some people have taken it up the stairs, just kneeling. Um, but this is a time to commune with the Lord who is the risen king. And, uh, and ask him if he would help you with your perspective uh, on life. If I could have those who are serving communion um, come up while I pray, and we have both gluten-free and regular bread, just need to ask for it, um, I would appreciate it. So if I could have the communion service come. Father, thank you for your truth. Thank you, most of all, for the triumph of Christ. Uh, thank you for his resurrection. And I pray that it wouldn't simply be a, a, a truth that we assent to or we verbally declare, but the truth that we believe and a perspective that we maintain each day um, to know that you have won and that the, the war is over. And now we live and, and battle on knowing that, that you have already conquered. So um, use this time, Father, and minister to, to us through the, the bread and the cup, symbols of his body and his blood. And pray this in Christ's name. Amen.